You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how it's easy to get lost in a system of church. If you've been out of the church for a while, hopefully this is refreshing, but for people in the church a while, you get caught in a system, and you're just so used to the way church is supposed to be run. And we don't want to be like that at Live City Church. We want to make sure that we, when we come, we come with fresh expectations. The Bible tells us of a woman who had, was, who had an issue of blood for 12 years, kept bleeding out, went to all kinds of doctors looking for help, and spent all her money trying to get herself restored, and it didn't work. None of it worked. But she thought to herself when Jesus came by, if I can just press through the crowd, You're not allowed to be, by the way, in front of a crowd when you're bleeding back in that day. She should have been outside of the camp. So permanently outside of the camp, never able to be with people because that was considered uh, she was dirty. So she needed seven days of cleansing, but then she's continually bleeding. But she thought, if I can just press in through the crowd and touch the hem of his robe, I will be healed. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what she did. She pushed and she pushed and she pushed. Jesus wasn't looking for her at all. He was just walking to go to Jairus' daughter. He was going to heal a 12-year-old. Meanwhile, from the time that that 12-year-old had lived, this woman had suffered. And Jesus did not know she was there until she touched the edge of his robe. There's something to be said about pressing into Jesus. So you can come this morning and you can sit back and think to yourself, this is an ordinary service. Or you can think to yourself, if there's something here for me, God, I need it. God, I want it. Some of you haven't heard from the Lord in a long time. And you've been coming to church. You just haven't heard that word because you haven't asked for it. I want to encourage you this morning. Ask the Lord, Father, speak to me now. Why don't you do that right now? Father, speak to me now. I need a fresh word. I need a fresh revelation. Give me the bread I need for today. Amen. Let's see what God will do. I want you to turn with me in your Bible so you know... When you come to Live City Church, we do a lot of teaching in this church, teaching, preaching, but you know, we're going to unpack the Word. We want you to test us. We want you to look up the, the passages. If you forgot your Bible, you have permission now to grab your phone. Okay, grab your phone. And in your uh, browser, you're going to look up Hebrews, uh, sorry, we're going to go Ephesians 6, and it's verse 16. Ephesians 6, 16. So I, I really felt that the Lord wanted, us, wanted me to talk about this. It's about the armor of God. I started with trust and truth, sorry, trying to understand what is truth, and we began unpacking that, and it naturally went into the armor of God. And so there's a reason why we, we are talking and preaching about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, the whole passage is verse 10 to 18, but we're going to focus on verse 16 this morning. It says this, in addition to all this, there's a whole bunch of stuff that, is, that he's just listed out there, talking about the armor of God, talking about the battle we have against principalities and powers. Some of you are oblivious to the fact there's been attacks on your life, oblivious to the fact there's been attacks on your marriage, attacks on your relationship, attacks on your health. And we speak like the rest of the world, and we say, oh, it's just a coincidence, just the way it is. Oh, you know, my father had it, my father before him, so I've got it. And we've accepted these things. But the Bible tells us, 
These are principalities and powers waging war against you. It is a coordinated effort. I want to encourage you, download the previous podcast so you can be informed and find out where we're at today. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 says, In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Do you see that word all? Okay, it's telling you that there's going to be more than one. More than one arrow. There's going to be a lot of arrows being thrown at you all the time. I'll talk about that in a moment. And look at this. It says, in addition to all this, take up. So if you can take it up, you can put it down. See, the thing with a lot of Christians is that we've got our shield of faith. You like what I did here? This is almost the scale size. The scale size is a bit larger. It covered the whole body. Okay, of the soldiers. Now, some say that the soldiers back in that time were a bit shorter, five foot one. Some a bit taller than that. Praise the Lord, yes. But um, Bob was laughing really hard back there. He's like, uh, little man, little man. God bless you, <laughs> Bapa. But yeah, this is so I thought, look, this is a good enough size. And you can feel that there's a little bit of weight there. I, I don't think I could hold it the whole time. I am unfit. And so we, they have straps that they can put on their back. And so, you know, like Captain America... So sorry. So sorry, Brad. Just destroyed his drum kit. And, you know, we, we wear it around, and we like to flaunt the shield. Check it out. Yeah, I got the shield. I got the shield. Look at this. Look at this. I even got a cross put on there, you know, just to make sure people know it's a Jesus cross. I got this going on, you know. I need it. If I need it, it's there. It's there. It's there. And then we put it away, and we forget all about it. And then the arrows are coming, and the arrows are coming. And we're getting hit, and we're taking these things, and we don't understand why we're struggling in our journey with the Lord. Today, I'm hoping by the grace of God, we'll be able to unpack this word a bit more. I want you to turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 11. So we're talking about the shield of faith. You cannot talk about faith and not touch on Hebrews chapter 11. We often call it the faith chapter. If you're struggling in your faith, if you're weak in your faith, this is the chapter to read. But what happens is, as so often, we glance over it, we read it very, very quickly, and it meant nothing at the end. You might pick something up. You might be like the, the discerned, the wise, and you, you just understand things like that. But, you know, people like me, we've got to dumb it down a little bit, so I slow down. I slow it down so I can understand. Now, we're going we're gonna to skip through a few things, but I just want to lay a pattern, a, a context for what we'll talk about this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 Starting from verse 1, the Bible says this, classic, classic verse. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. What were they commended for? They were commended for seeing things that weren't there, but they were promised to them, and so they held on to it until they received it. And so just, amen, this is a kind of moment right now you got to understand these things. Some of you are contending for things. You've got financial needs. You've got needs in your marriage. You've got relationship needs. You've got needs in the workplace. You need a job. You're struggling. And what happens is so often, more often than not, we crumble because we're trying to use the weapons of the world. And what Paul is saying, the apostle, you've got to use the weapons that are equipped to take down the enemy, strongholds. That person that's in your face, it might even be your boss, and you're constantly being harassed. You can never be on a good side of their day. That's not them. You've got to understand these things. They're just people. 
Jesus said that on the cross. He's hanging up there, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're just acting out in the patterns and the conformity of the world. But we're supposed to be different from that. We are able to step outside of the realms of the natural to see things that are not there. And if you can't see or know what it is, that's why we read the Word of God. Follow with me. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. It's really interesting. I like hearing atheists say the word universe. Because they're basically declaring, because the word universe is two words, uni, one, verse, word, (laughs) or words, one word, let there be light, 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 light. And they're saying universe, universe, universe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just, uh, you know, agreeing with me with the Lord created it all. (laughs) The universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was made out of what was, sorry, what, what, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Let me, let me explain it to those that are like me, just a bit slower. <laughs> I do the whole time. What he's trying to say is, I, I had this uh, workshop this, this uh, week, and I had some students come together, and we're talking about creation. So I'm asking these kids, I said, have you ever painted? How many of you guys have painted? How many of you guys have painted in church? You've painted before. You've done some painting. Can I see your hands? You might have done it in school, might have done it sometime. Haven't, you guys haven't painted yet? Ever in life? How many people have painted? Let's see those hands. Okay, everyone's painted. Now, can you imagine painting without a paintbrush? The kids are fast, though. The kids are really fast. That's it. Okay, right there. The kids are really fast. Katie said it. Yeah, well, they use their finger. Well, I use a finger. Okay, that's good. That's good. Let's keep going. Have you ever painted without a canvas? And, of course, the kids are really quick. Oh, yeah, I've used paper. I've used rocks. I've used... That's true, too. Have you ever painted without any paint. That's exactly what the kid said as well. Yes, 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 yes. Have you, have you ever tried to paint when you had no tools at all, nothing at all, and just paint with nothing? That's what God did. I said, can you imagine trying to, so just to get the kids to understand, they kept saying yes, yes. Can you imagine trying to paint without a canvas, just paint right there in the middle of the air? Can you do that? Well, God can. And that's what he did. That's the point. He made something out of nothing. The only true reality is the spiritual realm. And the natural realm was created after the spiritual realm. Therefore, the natural realm is servant to the spirit realm. That's the reason why Jesus can walk on water. That's why Jesus can turn, you know, a three, what is it, five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people, men, plus their wives, plus their children. It's impossible. We need to start dreaming again about the impossible. We're so locked down to possibility, what we can see with our eyes, and we're struggling. Let me keep going. And he begins talking about some heroes. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Another hero, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. He, he heard God and he believed that that's faith. The substance of things unseen, right? The evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. Here it is. He knew there would be a flood, so he built an ark. That was his faith, by building, by doing. By faith, he condemned the world and became heirs of, an heir of righteousness. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
Now, sometimes when you're going with God, you're waiting for the instruction. Well, I want to know where we're going. No, just pack up your bags. Just start walking. But Lord, I need to know where are we going? Do I need to bring rain gear? Do I need to bring snow gear? Just pack up your bags and start walking. See, things start getting revealed as you begin walking because revelation does not precede obedience. Obedience must precede revelation. And then God begins to explain. I've got some people starting to wake up. Praise the Lord. This is good. All right. If you came to Live City Church today, just understand we're not a quiet church. Just help me preach this. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. So there's nothing there. God says, I'm going to give you this land, but I don't own it. I don't care. Just make a house. Just build it. (laughs) You know, that's your home. Everyone's going to know you live there. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Can I keep going? By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. They're trying to give you examples of people who have exemplified what that faith looks like. Faith is the substance of, what is it? The evidence of things not, sorry. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, It's not faith. If you've got it, you can't hope for it because you've got it. The only way it's faith is when you have not yet seen it. And so the Bible is encouraging us and provoking us to start dreaming like they did. I mean, think about their lives. Abraham, he lied twice. He asked his wife, I want you to lie and tell them that we're brother and sister. Twice. She ended up in a harem. Twice. I mean, this is the husband. I mean, we're talking about people, uh, you know, that, that are just uh, are not the ones that you would consider faithful, righteous people. But the Bible made them righteous because of their faithfulness. Let me, let me, it's right. Let me go into this a bit deeper. As long as you have flesh and blood, you will come under attack. Turn to the person next to you and say, your attack's coming. It's almost here. Some of you are in the attack. You got the umbrella raised like, oh, God, just stop the onslaught. Use a shield. This blue planet in the middle of the universe has the entire eyes of heaven firmly fixed on it. From the mud and from the mire, from the challenges of life, from the hell that is being thrown at you, there are people crawling out triumphant, overcoming sons of God who are made and revealed as they arise through the rubble and the carnage, victorious battle after battle after battle. You are being made through the battles. We're so quickly trying to pray ourselves out of the battle that we haven't recognized God put you in the battle on purpose because he sees there's more in you, because he sees the end from the beginning. He knows what's about to happen. He's trying to prepare you for greater things. And you're pushing him, and you're fighting him. You're trying to pray to him to stop it. We live in a fast world where the demand for immediate gratification often carries across to our faith. We don't want to go through the process. We want to become fully-fledged, Mature sons of God looked up to by others. Victors without a victory. Overcomers without a battle. Testimonies without testing. You can see how silly that idea is. 
But that's how we live. We, we don't talk about it. We don't say it like that. That's really what we're doing. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. Here's how I explain it. It is substantial hope. It is so real that you absolutely believe it. It's saying it's the evidence of things not seen. It's bankable faith. It's bankable hope. It is so absolutely certain you can't shake it. Faith must be activated to be faith. Faith is not simply a belief. You can't say you're a man or woman of faith if you haven't had to rely on that faith to survive. Some of you, you're going through your circumstances, you're going through your dark places because God wants to, you to activate the faith in your life. I decided to dig a little bit deeper and look up that word faith in the original Greek. It was the word pistis. And I thought I'm going to dig a bit deeper and look at that root word of pistis is the word patho. I'm not a scholar, okay? I probably mispronounced it, but, you know, we don't. Bruce is not here. He's hidden somewhere. Okay, good, good. We're good. He's going to get the food for us. All right. So that word pistis comes from this meaning. It's the word faith. Think about this. Every time the word faith is mentioned in the Bible, here's what it's actually trying to articulate to you. Remember, in Hebrew and Greek, they might say one word, translate it into English. It's actually more than one word. It's a concept of understanding that if you, unless you take all the words, you will not see the complete picture. So every time the Bible says, raise your shield of faith, right? By faith we stand. Here's what it's actually saying. Pistis means to convince. Are you convinced that the word of God is truth and everything else is a lie? You're quiet. You're very quiet. Are you convinced, though? See, a lot of people believe it. I believe it, and they call that faith. It's not working, Pastor. The world is coming against me. The devil is attacking me. My boss is going to fire me. You have to be convinced. It's not simply belief. Faith means to pacify or conciliate. It's to make peace. I never saw that one before, to pacify. Faith means to assent to evidence or authority. It means you concede that that is the absolute authority. When the Word of God says that, that is the authority. Everything else is a lie. Some of you are struggling with this. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. That's what faith is. It's a struggle. You've got to apply it. You've got to use it. But it's the absolute belief that the word is the truth. Faith means to rely on. Let me tell you, I cannot live without the word of God. In my times of trouble, I have to turn to the Word of God because while I can get people speaking into my life, and, and they're so good, and, I, and God bless them, at the end of the day, it is the Word of God that will reveal the path I need to take. It will reveal the truth behind the things that I'm going through. I rely on the Word. That's why I read it every day. See, some of you, you're struggling, you know, you, know, you had a New Year's resolution. I'm going to read the Bible every day. And about week one, <laughs> you did one reading, and you thought, I'm so far behind. I'll never catch up. I think I'll just give up. Don't give up. Keep the bookmark in place. Keep ticking those boxes and go. By the way, we have some reading plans for you. You can pick up straight after the service. The word faith means to be persuaded. Has God persuaded you that he is the truth? Has God persuaded you that his word is the truth and can be relied on, can cause peace, can conciliate, is something that you can absolutely live for and die for? Faith means to listen to. 
It means to obey. Do you obey the word? Are you arguing with it? I don't like this one. It's not, it's not really written for our cultural context. So obviously, that's not valid for today. I live under grace, not under law. So, you know, the law doesn't... Well, actually, uh, yeah, but you're actually under a new covenant, and the law is still valid because Jesus said it was. Can I keep going? The word faith means to yield, to give up. Let go of your stubborn will. It isn't helping you. It means to comply with. Faith means to trust. You cannot have faith and not have trust. They're implicit. They have to work together. And faith means confidence. Faith is taking what God said and living it as the only truth in your life. Faith, some of you need to write these things down, is an access key to the resources of heaven. So you are both spirit and flesh, okay? We're natural and supernatural in one. No other animal or created being on this planet is like us. We have a spirit inside of us. The Bible says that. We have a spirit and soul. The Bible says the Word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit apart. So you have a soul and a spirit and a flesh, a trinity like God is. So your flesh is going to struggle because it can only see with the five senses, Okay? Oh, sorry, we can only understand with the five senses. What you see, taste, touch, smell, and hear. The problem is the attacks are coming from the sixth sense. It's coming from the supernatural realm. So here's, for those of you taking notes, some real quick things. I'm going to get right into it. Faith can be used in different ways. You thought there's only one kind of faith? One application of faith? Let me break it down for you. Five things. Faith is used to receive salvation. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Your faith saves you. Faith can be used to answer prayers, trusting God implicitly that he will do it. The Bible says, you, uh, Jesus said to people he healed, your faith has healed you. Your faith can heal you. It answers prayers. Three, faith can be used to do good works. James, the brother of Jesus, says, I'll show you my faith through my works. If you really have faith, there's going to be works following. Faith can be used to please God. We read that, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Again, we're not talking about a belief system. We're talking about living it out and doing something about the Word. Here's the fifth one, and the one we're focusing on today. Faith can be used to protect you to overcome the world. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you know you're going to overcome the world? You've been made to overcome the world. 1 John 5, 4 says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith overcomes the world. So before I dig into it a bit more, let me, I need a helper to help me. Frankie, can you help me out, brother? All right, I want you to just hold this up here. Now, this, this won't quite cover you, but it covers quite a bit of your body, which is good, the, the, the stuff you need. So these shields back in the day, the ones that Paul was writing about, the people of the day completely understood. We need to show them that it's not a whiteboard, so go this way so it looks like a shield. There you go. It was made uh, sometimes of several layers of wood and then, and then coated with a uh, leather on top, or it would be several leather pieces glued together, okay? So the problem was... 
to make sure that the leather was going to remain and to be used, they had to oil the leather every day. The oil, of course, speaks of the anointing, speaks of the Holy Spirit, oiling it every day. Because if it became brittle in battle, when it was hit, it would shatter. So they had to make sure that the shield was constantly oiled. And here's what else. And by the way, it weighed about six kilos thereabouts. Now, this one here, early Roman uh, shields were flat, but eventually they began to bend them. And they were able to use them by interlocking them so that when arrows would come, they would all interlock. Imagine I have one as well. I'll just hold it up over your head there. Otherwise, you get hit, Frankie. Just over your head. Hold it up. That's it. Hold it in the middle there. That's it. Okay. And I'm holding up my shield so we're all protected. Now, just imagine this for a moment with the Roman soldiers and the legions. Imagine a wall like this. If someone would be in the front holding a shield like that. This would be here, and all the way to the back, there would be shields. The entire army was covered, and the width of the army can sometimes be two kilometers long. It wasn't small. Two kilometers of shield. And what would happen is you would hold it with one hand. You can't right now, but just pretend I'm doing it for you like this. And then they would stab, step forward, stab, step forward. They would take down enemy territory. Let's step forward. Okay, step forward. I'm just going to do the stabbing for you. Stab, stab, stab. Okay, stab. I'm a little low here. I'll go up high. Stab, stab. Stab, stab. And we move forward. The kingdom of heaven forcefully advances. You got it? Let's give a hand to Frankie. Thanks, Frankie. God bless you. So the shield was uh, also made into a, a, a circular fashion so they could move it around faster. I'll tell you a bit more about that in a second. But here's what I want to focus on. What are the darts? What are the arrows that the Bible is talking about? Have you thought about that? I did a bit of digging around. The darts and the arrows in that time were often poisoned. They were poisoned arrows or they were fiery arrows. They weren't just arrows. So that even if it just nicked your skin because of the poison, you would die. Some of these arrows, they would hollow it out and pour chemical in there like a Molotov cocktail. And then they would strike it. So they won't always, they would lit to start with and they would fire it. But the real danger was the moment it made impact, like on a human being, it would go inside of you. It, and as it hit, it, the impact would cause it to explode inside your belly. You would be burnt alive. There was no hope. If they shot it anywhere, it wasn't just the fire on the arrow. It was the chemicals inside it. And so these shields, what they used to do was, aside from the oiling, they would put water on it. And then they would hold them up so when the fiery arrows came, they were put out by the water in the shield. So this, those fiery darts were done. It did no damage. And it's interesting, again, digging a bit deeper, what were the arrows about in trying to understand in today's terms? To understand that, we need to go to Genesis 3.1. Would you turn with me in your Bibles? Genesis 3.1. The Bible says this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Smartest animal there was. Obviously, it wasn't just the animal. It was the, the, the satanic influence inside of him. More cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? So the attack of the enemy is often to do with words. The enemy, you notice, did not attack Adam and Eve physically. The enemy did not try and bite them, try and poison them, and try and harm them. Instead, the enemy used words. 
Here was the words. Did God really say? In other words, he's saying this. What did God tell you? He wants to know if you know the word first. And then whatever amount of words you know, he will begin to poison and to cloud your judgment so that you can barely understand it. Here's what I need you to understand. As long as they believed the information God told them, Adam and Eve were secure. The word is the shield. That's the faith. Your faith in the word that it would protect you. God said, you are mine and I am yours. You're my kids. I've got you. You've got eternal life as long as you don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And so as long as they believed the information, they were safe. They were at peace. The word of God is a shield that will keep you from the attacks of that enemy if you hold on to it. Because the devil kept attacking that word, and then eventually he attacked the character of God. He said, God's not really that good. The reason he doesn't want you to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden is if you eat it, you'll become like him. So he's trying to protect himself. In other words, casting doubt on the goodness of God and the intentions that God has for mankind. That's what the enemy will get you to do. And so this poisoned the knowledge that Adam and Eve had. Interesting, isn't it? So here's the thought I want you to understand. On your own, you cannot stand except when God shields you. And it's the word of God that shields you from the attack of the enemy. Did God really say, yeah, he did. <laughs> and let me show you the word. This is what the word of God says. By faith, by faith, by faith. The darts and the arrows are often seen as temptations, but it's more than that. Let me unpack it for you. You can just write these down. Psalm 11 verse 2 says, For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. Psalm 64 3, They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. The cruel words that are aimed against you are arrows, whether the enemy does it or the people are incited to speak the words against you. Proverbs 25, 8, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. So do you understand? It's not just temptation, but the devil has schemes upon schemes upon schemes to aim at you to take you down. But the biggest one of all, of course, is temptation. That longing, that evil desire inside of your heart, that if not restrained, will take you over. It's interesting then that the prayer that Jesus taught us was this. Our Father who art in heaven. What does it say at the end? And lead us not into temptation. Why? Because you will be led into temptation. The thing that amazes me as a pastor is the people that actually lead themselves into the, the temptation. They're driving themselves right to hell. I think, why are you doing this? I uh, couldn't help it. What, you were dragged into the porn site? You know, someone had to open up that thing. Who opened the browser? I don't know. The devil made me do it. He can't make you do anything you don't want to do. He gets, the devil gets a lot, of, uh, a lot of accolade that he didn't deserve, a lot of awards, and, you know, he didn't do it. You did. All he did was point you in the right direction. Get your eyes to look. How did Jesus defeat the devil when he was tempted? By the word of God. Temptation is a powerful tool in the enemy's arsenal. And we are taken down by our own sin when we give in. That's another word for when we surrender. 
Surrender to the enemy. That's why this prayer is so important. Psalm 18 verse 30 says this. The word of the Lord is tested and tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge and put their trust in him. You cannot trust yourself. Put your trust in him. And what he says, 1 John 5, 4. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through faith. You know that the soldiers were trained to use these shields. They, couldn't, they weren't allowed to use it straight away. They weren't allowed in battle until they learned how to use it. And this is what they did. They made the practice shields twice the weight of the actual shield in battle. They made the swords, again, wooden swords, twice the weight. So that as they're training, they're building up their muscles. They're building up their strength. Because what happens in the battle is that it's an endurance. It's about endurance. It's about hanging on. You're being tempted. You're severely tried and tested. I was reading uh, the word recently about the testings of Jesus in the 40 days. Again, I assumed it says the devil came on the last day to test Jesus, the three temptations. But the Bible says for the full 40 days, he was constantly tested. How about this thought here? What if, what if Jesus had a, a temptation for lust? He was tempted in every way, the, the Bible says, possible. He had lust. What about being tempted to just, you know, go back and remember that brother that hurt him and not let go? It's a temptation. Constantly battling through each of the temptations. The Bible says that we live by faith and not by sight. In other words, you cannot live your Christian walk tied to what you see. Faith is living by the standards of Jesus. So let me, let me finish off with three key things. This is how to increase your faith. The disciples of Jesus saw that he was doing the most amazing things never seen before. Multiplying food, raising the dead, putting eyeballs in someone who was born without eyes and they could see, hearing the deaf people, the people who were infirm could walk again. And so they, they thought it's about increasing faith, and they were partly right. The Bible says in Luke chapter 17, verse 5 and 6, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. See, faith is understanding this. It's not about how much prayer you have. It's not really about how much faith you have. It's the lack of doubt. If you can believe absolutely that what God says is true, it doesn't matter about the quantity or the size of your faith. It's about using it. So here's four ways to increase your faith. Number one, remove the doubt. Remove the doubt. Matthew 21, 21, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. It will be done for you. Can you imagine if Christians actually did that? I have this picture, you know, sort of a bit childlike. Imagine all these Christian brothers and sisters Hmm, I think I'm the, I want to move that mountain a little bit to the left over there. In the name of Jesus, mountain, get up. <laughs> uh, well, the Bible says you can move mountains. It's interesting. Okay, number two, how to increase your faith. you got to use it. Use your faith. James chapter 2, verse 17 says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I remember, and I'm going to tell this story to you once uh, a few years ago. 
But I remember a great man of prayer. His name was Johnson Chuck Pornu, Reverend Johnson Chuck Pornu from the Ivory Coast in Africa. And he was teaching about faith. And he says this, if God has given you the faith to believe for a bicycle, don't ask him for a car. Because your faith is not that he won't give it. You don't have the faith to sustain it. You have the faith for a bicycle. So ask him for the bicycle and you'll get the bicycle by faith. And he says that once you have the bicycle, God will enlarge your faith and it will be a faith for a car. And then he gives an actual example. He said, when he was an associate pastor, the senior pastor eventually uh, resigned and retired. And he took over as a senior pastor. And he was given the senior pastor's car, which is nothing to sing about. It was an old wrecked jalopy that barely, that barely moved. But he used it. That's all they had. They're very poor there. And so he got, uh, so he drove that car. He was quite happy until the Lord told him one day, Johnson, I'm going to give you a BMW 3 Series. I'm not talking about everyone. We're going to have old BMWs. But for him, that's what it was. I'm going to give you a BMW 3 Series. So Reverend Johnson got up to the platform as he preached that morning. Guess what God told me, church? What, pastor? God's going to give me a BMW 3 Series. And they all praise God. He says, because they don't have the money to pay for it. So it had to be God. And so he was driving his jalopy, and people kept asking him, Pastor, when's the, car? when's the car coming? Have you got the car yet? No, no, it's not here yet. It's coming, it's coming. Pastor, have you got the car yet? No, 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 it's not here yet. It's coming, it's coming. And he went on for a time until eventually he decided his faith had outgrown that car. He believed God, even though he didn't have it. Absolutely believed God. And so after a while, he refused to park the car in the garage. He parked it outside, outdoors. His faith is growing. In fact, he was so believing in God and wondering why it wasn't coming, he thought, I'm going to have to park the car on the other side of the street. You don't belong on my property. The BMW 3 Series belongs on my property. Eventually, his faith kept growing. He refused to drive the car. And he walked to church while his wife took the kids to church. One day, the elders on the board came to the pastor and said, Reverend Johnson, we... Uh, we got together as a church, and uh, we all decided to, to take up a love offering. And, and we've got you this brand new Hyundai Elantra. And he looked at it, he took the keys, he said, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. But God promised me a BMW 3 Series. Take the keys and sell the car and give it to the church. So he kept walking. And he didn't get that car for many more years. Here's what happened next. Within a few years, he was preaching in the church that he was eventually to be pastor of, a church of about 10,000. And there he is preaching the word. And a white South African lady comes up to him and says, for a black fella, you, you know, you're not, you're not a bad preacher. <laughs> and a bit of insult and a, and a compliment at the same time. And she said, the Lord told me to ask you to give you whatever it is he put on your heart. What did he tell you he'll give you? She pulled out a checkbook and he said, BMW 3 Series, how much is it worth? She wrote the check out and gave it to him. He had BMW 3 Series. You can praise the Lord for that one. That was pretty amazing. Here's what happened next. It was not long after that that uh, he got sick. And he was, he was very badly sick. And the doctors gave him two months to live. And so Reverend Johnson began to pray, and he had all the great prayers in all the world. He's a man of prayer, got a prayer company with him, praying, praying, praying. Nothing was happening until one day the Lord said to him, Johnson, sacrifice that which you love the most. No, he did not give his kids away, but he, 
<laughs> he took his keys, gave it to the board. He says, please take this, take this car, sell it, give it to the church. But pastor, that's your, your joy, your treasure. The Lord gave it to you. I know. Just take it. Take it. Sell it. And the Lord said to him, I'm giving you a Mercedes C-Class series. And he got it. When he preached and told that story, he said, I just, uh, he goes, I have that Mercedes series at home. And I've just given it to the board this morning because in prayer. The Lord told me, I'm getting you a jet because you're traveling all the time. I'm getting you on jet. So I told the church to sell the car and put it in the church fund. See, if you have the faith for a bicycle, you can't believe for a car. If all you can believe for is a bicycle, pray for the bicycle. And then God will begin to enlarge your faith. Is this useful? Is it okay? All right. Romans 12, 6 says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. You can only believe in proportion to your faith, and faith will increase the more you believe. I remember when we had no, no, no money. We were struggling. We told you the story before. Now, when I don't have money, it's not an issue. For me, it's not even faith anymore. See, faith is the unseen. Faith is the unexperienced, the unexpected, the stuff you cannot believe for. It's outside of your realm of seeing. I can see that now. No, it's not even faith anymore for me, provision. God provides for me. It's the crazy stuff like a church building and land at the moment that is my faith because it's way beyond what we can do right now. It's way beyond the realms of possibility. Let me begin to finish off. I'm just going to skip a few things. Okay. Uh, number three. What, how can you increase your faith? Link shields, like I did with my brother Frankie. Link shields. The Bible says, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Matthew 18, 19. Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Two are better than one. Lock your shields together. If you're struggling right now, can I encourage you, don't do it alone. Go find a person of great faith and pray with them. Pray with them. Pray with them until you see a breakthrough. Finally, number four, hear the word. Romans 10, 17 says, So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's an interesting statistic. Just like in Australia, the average American now attends church one out of every four weeks. George Bonner, George Bonner Research. If faith comes from hearing the word and they're not hearing the word anymore, how are they ever going to stand up against the attacks of the enemy? Why don't we stand to our feet as we close this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith. Help us, Lord God. Lead us by your Spirit and show us the things that we need to do. Right now, Father God, I'm speaking to those who have not exercised their faith in a very long time. Some, they've never used their faith. I pray, Father God, that you would encourage them in this next season to take the next step, to begin believing God for that bicycle, in the example, as a metaphor, 
that bicycle, that next thing that they need to increase their faith. Father, we want a church full of faith-filled sons and daughters of God. Lord God, who can take down territories. We want this territory in the name of Jesus. We ask Red Red Bank Plains for Jesus. We're asking Ipswich for Jesus. We're asking Brisbane for Jesus. We're asking Australia for Jesus. Father God, we are calling that down right now by faith, and we link our shields declaring the word of God, that you're not willing for any to perish, but have everlasting life. So we're saying, Father God, now is that time. Increase our faith, Lord God, that we can believe you for the big things. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.